Well, we are thankful you are here. Thank you for being here. My name is Rick. If you don't know, I get to be the lead pastor. We're going to jump right into our teaching series uh, today. Uh, we are in this series called What Would Jesus Actually do. And what we're doing is looking at the Gospel of John. Actually, we're reading through the Gospel of John from now until Christmas time. There is a new, brand new reading plan out. So it's, it's updated on your church app. It is on our website. And if you are like a hard copy type of person, which I am, I'm going to admit it. Um, it's for all of us old people, right? Um, it's, it's back there by the uh, offering boxes. So there's a new one out. And then um, they, the new uh, memory verse is out, right? So each, each month we keep, we're going to keep on getting these. Why? Because we're going to do what Jesus actually did. And what did Jesus actually do? He memorized scripture uh, from the Old Testament. And so we want to practice. We want to be like Jesus and we want to memorize scripture. And there's a plan for the month of October uh, are some memory verses for us to memorize uh, together. Today we are in chapter two of the gospel of John. Now, what we're going to see is two stories here. These two stories, uh, he calls it a sign. This is the first sign. Why does John call the apostle John? Why does he call them a sign? They're miracles. And he zeroes in on seven of them throughout the Gospel of John. Why does he call them a sign? What does a sign do? A sign tells you a message. A sign points in a direction. And so John, the, the Apostle John, calls them a sign. And remember the very first week... We understood, we went to the end of the book, we read the last chapter first, right? And he told us why he's writing this book. He, he, he said, because I want you to believe that Jesus really is the Messiah, that he really is God in the flesh. That's what you, he says, I've seen it with my own eyes. I wrote about it and I'm writing so that you will believe like I have believed and so many other people have believed. So he calls it a sign. Here's a sign that Jesus really is uh, the Messiah. Here's a sign that he really is creator. We'll get into to more of that as he turns water into wine. And then we see this other um, story that's in here that John uh, kind of like you know, opens the door to our scriptures are going to say temple because that's what it was for our you know, purpose. We're going to call it church, but a church lost its purpose. So that's what we're going to see today. But here's the big idea. Here's what I want all of us, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey. I want all of us to walk away with this big idea. And that is this. Bring what you have to Jesus, believing that he can transform it into something extraordinary. See, that's the call of Jesus. He just wants you to bring what you have. But he wants you to come believing. He wants you to come with an expectation that he can take just what you have and turn it into something that's extraordinary. And I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, but many people think, oh, I need to get my life straightened up first. I need to wait until I get out of this mess so that I can follow God. But no, that's not what we're going to see in the text. What we're going to see in the text is like he says, bring what you have. If your life is a mess, just bring me your mess. If your marriage is a mess, just bring me your marriage. If your singleness is a mess, just bring it to me. If your finances are a mess, just bring it to me. Bring what you have, believing 
that He can actually do something extraordinary with what you bring Him. And again, it doesn't matter where you are. And maybe for you as a parent, you have some kids that you're just, you're just bringing them to Jesus. And you're like, God, please, just do something in their life that's extraordinary. That's all I've got. I don't know where you are, but I do know that you have something. And you have something to bring your life. And Jesus wants to turn it into something that's extraordinary. So let's go to John chapter 2. And in John chapter 2, verse number 1. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. Pause. Uh, let's talk about this for a second. Um, first of all, when, as we read through the Gospel of John, John loves numbers. And numbers mean something to John. And it's almost like, I, I, in my mind, every time I would read this, I would be like, on the third day, wink, wink. I can just see the Apostle John doing that, right? On the third day, you know, because the third day is such a huge thing. The death, the burial, and the resurrection on the third day, right? So, and what's he trying to do? He's trying to prove that Jesus really is God, he really is the Messiah. So, on the third day, this wedding took place in Cana. Now, I, you know, I had the privilege to be able to go to Israel. And so when I went to Israel, I got to see Cana. And so here's modern day uh, Cana, which is a terrible picture. Um, but, uh, you know, fire the photographer, right? But it, 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 this is what it looks like. But the best part about this was that when we left Canaan, we all got back on the bus. There are like 40 of us, right? We get back on the bus, and our Bible teacher, uh, Dr. John Delancey, hey, which, by the way, mark your calendar, save the date, March the 1st, 2nd, and the 3rd, Friday, Saturday morning, and Sunday, he'll be here. He's going to teach here at our church. It's going to be amazing. But um, he gets on the bus, and he tells us, he says this. He says, so this is the... Uh, uh, the modern day Cana, I lost my word, modern day, that's, what, that's the word I was looking for, it like slipped away. But he said, this is modern day Cana. He says, but we're going to go to the real biblical Cana. And we drove about 30, 45 minutes out into what felt like the middle of nowhere, and the bus driver was like, Our, my bus can't go down there. They had to have a conversation. John talked the bus driver, no, your bus can do this. We can do this. And we went down this dirt path that looked like it was for ATVs. And we're in this great big old Greyhound type bus. And when, um, and when we get there to this place, which we're still not seeing anything, he says, okay, now we got to hike 20 miles up, or I mean 20 minutes, not 20 miles. <laughs> For some people, it felt like 20 miles. But, um, so we hiked 20 minutes up this hill. And when we got to the top of the hill, this is what we saw. This was Cana, actually where Jesus walked, actually where Jesus turned the water into wine. I don't know why I do that every time like he did that. He didn't have to do that to turn it into wine. But uh, he, uh, he, this is this is it. We're looking around, right? Like Jesus like walked here. Like this is the village of Cana. We're, I mean, I see that, I don't know if you can really tell, it kind of looks like a cave, you know, it wasn't really a cave, it's just like, you know, over, so this is first century, first century, right? So the earth has kind of covered some of it up. I go in there, I'm looking for the six jars, baby, where is it, right? Is there some wine left in here? You know, it's got to be good now, right? I'm not even a wine drinker, I have no idea, but, you know, it was like, it was just amazing to, to be right where Jesus was. It was so cool. 
But this is where, this is the village. And here's what happened in that first century. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any more wine. They told, he, he, Mary goes to Jesus and says, hey, they're out of wine. Now, we have to understand why this is such a big deal in first century. Right? So we have to back up. We have to think for a century as we read this story. And this is such a big deal because, don't forget, one, it's a shame-honor society. And they ran out. And the party would go on for two, three, sometimes a week. It wasn't like just a one day. Hey, show up on this one day. Right? Think back for a century. It wasn't like they didn't have their phone phones, you know, put, and then the reminder that came up, right? They didn't have any of that. It was like they heard, oh, that today, oh, well, we, it's going to take me a day to get there. So, right, people are like traveling. They're having to come into the village. And so it would go for two, three, and, and sometimes a whole week of celebration. Somewhere in here, they ran out of wine. And why that's a big deal is because for the groom's family, that would be shame. Shame would be given, you know, bestowed upon that family. Here's this young couple just starting out and they didn't have enough provision to take care of everybody who showed up. Some, uh, there is proof in archaeology, there is proof that you could get sued from the bride side of the family. They could actually take you to court for not providing enough uh, for uh, the, the wedding ceremony. So, what happened? Mary's concerns so obviously has some kind of connection to this family. She doesn't want this. She doesn't want this for that couple. She doesn't want shame to come upon them. No way to start out a married life. And so she turns to Jesus. And Jesus says something. His response is just like, I can't believe he said that. Isn't this the guy that said, honor your father and mother, right? Look what he says. What has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Right? We read that and we're like, that sounds like, woman, get my vittles. Right? That's what that sounds like. But that's not. And when you read that... Don't think that. Don't read that in here. And I know it's hard, but it wasn't derogatory first century. Think of it like this. You know, I'm back and forth to Nashville quite often because that's where all my family is. And I'm bringing my mom uh, back and forth uh, a lot. And when you're down there in Nashville, everything is, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Right? And then it's this. If you're, if you're a woman... It's, it doesn't matter if you're married, not married, widow. It doesn't matter. It's Miss Lisa, Miss Margie, Miss Zoe. Everything is Miss. Everybody's a Miss. Well, if you're, you know, female, you're Miss. And it's, they mean that as an enduring term, a term of honor, of respect. That's the way Jesus is speaking. So hear that when you hear woman. It's like Miss Mary. The other thing that Jesus is doing here with this is that he's making it very clear that family expectations on him is not his main business. The expectation that his family has, it, it maybe puts on him. Now, don't forget, he's the oldest. He has brothers and sisters. He, you know, they're his half brothers and sisters. But at some point, while Jesus was a teenager, uh, Joseph passed away, most believe. 
And so, naturally, it would fall on Jesus to carry the family forward. He's the oldest. So, Mary looks at the one who's been helping move the family forward. He's now 30. He's like, that's really old back then. And as he does this, Mary um, he looks at him as though... I know you can take care of this. You know, I raised you. I watched you. There's something, you know, you, everything you touch is just something different about you, Jesus. But Jesus is like, hey, I know you have expectations for me. But he said, my hour has not yet come. He's reminding them of the third day. My hour hasn't come yet. It's not time yeah. My main purpose isn't to uphold your expectations that you have on me. My main purpose is my Heavenly Father's business. What about you? Are you trying to uphold some expectation of a family, of a spouse, of a boss? Forgetting that your main purpose, as a Christ follower, if you're a Christ follower, forgetting that your main purpose is to be about your Heavenly Father's business. But Mary hears this, and like a mom could only do it, right? Here's what she says. Do whatever he tells you. It's going to be great. It's, I don't know what he's going to tell you. I know he said what concern of this is, my, you know, ma'am, uh, Miss Mary. I know what he said, but whatever he tells you, it's going to be extraordinary. And sure enough, he looks at the servants. He, he saw Jesus look to see what they had. What did they have? He looked around. Here's what they had. Six stone water jars. Jesus, or uh, the Apostle John, uses a number again. Six. Hmm. How many days in creation? Six. Hmm. What does John want to tell us? That Jesus is the creator. And watch what he's going to do with the water. He's going to create wine. Why? Because that's what the God does. That's what Jesus the God does. He creates. He makes new. Now, six stones. Uh, water jars had been set there for Jewish perfect, uh, purification. This, you know, everybody's coming in, it, whether it was the ceremonial washing of the feet, you know, or if it was a ceremonial washing of hands, whatever the purification process, you know, that they were going through. That's why they were there. So Jesus looks around, what is available, what's there, bring me what you have. They bring him what he has. And each contained about 20 or 30 gallons. So Jesus says, fill them with water. And here's what the servants do. They fill them to the brim. So John wants to make sure that everybody knows some kind of magic trick just isn't happening. You know, this isn't some kind of sleight of hand to where, hey, they just filled them about three quarters full. But Jesus had some wine that he brought with him and he put, you know, filled the rest of the way up. No, John is very clear. Like they are filled to the brim. There's no more room for anything like that to happen. Because you're going to see the Creator turn and create wine out of water. And so he said, and then he said to them, now draw some and take it out to the head waiter. Take it out to the guy who's in charge of getting all the food and the provisions out to everybody. And they did. And when the head waiter tasted the water, after it became wine, he did not know where it came from. 
though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Uh, just think about that. They knew exactly what was going on. Somewhere between filling those uh, water, those six large stone jars up with water to the brim, and those servants drawing it out, somewhere Jesus creates wine out of water. Something extraordinary happened when they just brought what they had. So, this, the guy who's in charge of all the provisions, he called to the groom and he told him, everybody sets out the fine wine first. And then, you know, when the people are a little bit, you know, well, then you bring in the cheap stuff. But he's like, but you have kept the fine wine until now. You see what Jesus has done? He has taken, when shame could have been put up on them, He has taken it and bestowed honor on them. He has taken a situation that could have been disastrous to the start of their marriage, and He has turned it around to be mind-blowing to this dude who maybe does this all the time, and he can't believe what they have done. And he's just like, you're amazing. Honor is bestowed. When we bring what we have to Jesus, he wants to take our shame and he'll turn it some way into honor. Honor to him, to reflect him, to reflect his glory. Yes, because look at this verse. Jesus did this. The first of his signs in Canaan of Galilee He, Jesus, Jesus revealed God's glory. Jesus revealed the glory of God. And look what happens. His disciples believed in him. As a result of them just bringing some people, bringing what they had. As a result of them believing as they brought it. God takes it and turns it into something extraordinary. And now these disciples, and we know there's at least five here. There's at least five disciples here because of what we talked about last week and those five disciples go to another level of belief and that's what happens in your life as a Christ follower you're like well I I do believe yes but Jesus has something more for you so if you'll just bring that issue if you'll just bring you know that uh, you know that hurt that discouragement that unforgiveness if you'll just bring that To Jesus, it will bring you to another level of belief because you believe that Jesus can actually take what you're just bringing him and make something extraordinary out of it. What is it that you need to bring to Jesus? Here in John chapter 2, we see another story. We see John the Apostle telling us about the temple that lost its purpose. So, here's what happens in verse 13. The Jewish, uh, the Jewish Passover was near, and so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, the Jewish Passover was a big deal. This is a huge deal. And it, notice that Jesus leaves Cana, goes to uh, Jerusalem, and this is a big deal because it sweat. I mean, Jerusalem, they say, went from the tens of thousands to the, into the millions during Passover because everybody would just come from everywhere. Everybody wanted to go to the temple to worship. So, there's all these people, this is what's happening. In the temple, Jesus finally gets there. That's a two and a half, it's like a two and a half, three day walk 
finally he and the disciples, they get there. And in the temple, that is, that's important. Remember this, this is important. Inside the temple, here's what he found. He found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves. And he also found money exchangers, uh, or money changers sitting there. So, Jesus shows up, and he's going to go to the temple to worship. But he's got to, like, you know, bump it. It, it, It's so packed. And inside, when he gets inside the temple where the power and the presence of God is supposed to be, he gets in there and he sees all that's happened inside the temple. And his heart is broken and it creates in him a righteous indignation, if you will. He gets angry. Hold it. What? You can be a Christ follower and get angry? Absolutely. What doesn't happen, he doesn't have a meltdown. He doesn't break or snap. When you first read this, you're going to think, oh my gosh, Jesus just had a meltdown. Let's read it. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. I mean, it sounds like, you know, he's just like, whoo, and he's going to flip, and, and he just blows up. But did you read the first line? After making a whip out of cords. I mean, that's no, I mean, how long does that take? I don't know. I'm not a whip maker, right? But it doesn't happen just like that. This is how he, this is how we know it wasn't like he didn't snap. This wasn't some unhealthy, emotional anger, burst of anger. This is very thoughtful. This was a process. And here he is braiding this cord and he's probably thinking, His heart, I wonder if tears weren't coming down because he knew that that God had never intended the temple to turn into a convenience store. That's exactly what's happened. You see, there was a, a good reason why they were selling the cattle and the sheep and the doves and all that because they were still living under a sacrificial system. And so you had to go to the temple and offer your sacrifice. People were coming from so far away, that would be so taxing, such a burden to bring your cow with you, right? Can you just imagine what? Because they all are walking, right? They didn't like load up the cattle truck, right? They didn't do that. It was like, you brought yours, you know, come on, Bessie, here we go, right? Um, that's, that's, and so... The religious leader, the the leaders of the temple thought, hmm, we could turn this into some money. And uh, what the uh, evidence shows that the, the, the religious leaders were probably padding some of their pockets as well as the temple treasuries with all the money that was happening, that with all the, uh, you know, all that they were doing and the whole exchange thing. The money exchange, it wasn't just, I mean, one purpose was because people were from coming from different regions, having different currencies, and they needed to change that out. But this was very interesting. The temple would only accept the purest and of a certain type of coin, which was meant more money, which meant they could get a higher exchange, which meant more money in them and more money for the temple. And this is what breaks the heart of Jesus. 
You're supposed to come and encounter God. You're supposed to come and experience and hear from Him. They can't even hear because it sounds like a barnyard. You know, the cows are mooing because it's in the temple. Don't forget, right? We saw that in the temple. The cows are mooing. The sheep are bleeding. The doves are like, whoo, whatever they do, right? And it's all this noise and it's all this clutter. Does your worship have a lot of clutter in it? Like when you show up to your space to worship God, is your phone like, and you're like, right? Is is like, you know, can, can you just move the clutter? Just spend some time. As a Christ follower, what would Jesus do? He wants it to be a distraction-free so you commune with the Father. And they've created all this clutter. What about your priorities? Are your priorities all out of whack? And you don't even worship. Because the priorities, the clutter has all come in. And sometimes it's not even bad stuff a lot of times. It's just the clutter. And it wasn't bad that they were doing this, but they were doing it in the temple and they were charging excessive rates. And Jesus, it just broke his heart. And he's like, that's it. That is it, he says. He told them, those who are selling the doves, get these things out of here. And he says, stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. You know, stop creating the convenience store right here. Get it back into the Kidron Valley where it should have been, outside of the temple, before you enter into the city. I wonder what it is that we need to look in our lives. Now, as he says this, the Jews are all... amped at him and here's their response the Jews replied to him what sign will you show us for doing these things meaning you know what authority do you have to come in here and to declare this kind of thing you know one they're embarrassed because they knew it shouldn't be in the temple it should have been outside Two, Jesus is calling them out. You have lost the purpose you've got all this clutter in here and then uh, three they're like who are you and Jesus will look at him, and I, in my mind, I imagine that he says this. And Jesus answered, destroy this temple, as he pats his chest. Destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in, say it with me, three days. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. And Jesus was talking about he is coming to flip the script. He is coming to change everything. That it's no longer about worshiping at this specific temple. Why? Because after my resurrection, after my ascension, you will become the temple of God and the Holy Spirit will live in you. This was a whole change for the way they do church. I wonder what kind of change needs to happen in your life. How is it that you need to be able to say, I need to live like Jesus actually lived his life. So here's what I need you. I need your help. So will you reach forward, grab that connection card? Here's the first next step. The very first next step says this. 
I need the confidence of Jesus to help me live like him. Please pray that I can remove the clutter and rely on his confidence to share my faith story with others. See, Jesus showed up in that temple with such a boldness. He could look at those in charge, those with authority. He could look at them with a confidence. Why? Because he was clear on his call. He was clear on his mission. And as a Christ follower, what would Jesus actually do? What Jesus would actually do is that we need to be ready to share our story. We need to show up in our workspaces, in our schools, you know, on that football field, on the soccer field. You need to show up with a confidence ready to share your story. And you know what? I need prayer in this way. I need help. I can't do this on my own. And so I'm asking you to pray for me and I want to pray for you. So on that connection card, um, just do check, uh, you know, check uh, step number one. Put your name on there and drop it off in the offering boxes. If you're in South County, just give it to Scott or Pete. They'll make sure we get it. If you're online, uh, just fill it out. The, the connection form uh, automatically comes back to our uh, office. So we'll have it. And when our team gathers this week, we're going to pray for you by name. And let's watch what happens. When you show up with the confidence that you never had before. And what comes out of your mouth, you're going to be like, I just brought Jesus what I had and it was my broken life. But, but, man, I sleep at night like a baby. My anxiety, it's gone. Well, you know what he's done in my marriage? Look at, let me tell you about what God has done in my marriage. We actually love to spend time with each other. He can do that. He wants to do that in your life. The other next step says this. Pray for me as I bring my hurt, my disappointment, or, you know, whatever it is. You put it in the blank. What, whatever, whatever it is that you need to bring to Jesus. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to come believing like Mary. Come with an expectation that he can do something extraordinary with whatever that is. And so, Father, we're asking that you would work like this among us. Holy Spirit of God, whether the person is in South County online or right here in our Cranston location, Jesus, we are asking that we all would bring what we have, believing. And then, Father, as we back away and we leave it there, we're going to watch you do something extraordinary with what we brought. God, bring us to this place, I pray in Jesus' name.